So we are starting a new series this morning. Uh, last week we ended our Scent series, the beginning part of Acts, as we saw um, following the ministry and work and life of Jesus, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and commissioning his followers to go and share the good news and to spread the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, and then he took off, right? He ascended up into heaven. But before he did, uh, he said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. and You're going to be my witnesses. And here's kind of this map, this game plan of spreading the gospel and advancing the church. And so we saw how uh, the first part of that, uh, how the church multiplied really quickly. The Spirit was doing things that only the Spirit can do. Uh, sometimes may still do those, but we don't see it very often. I think there was a lot of special manifestations of the Spirit in Acts uh, because the church was multiplying so rapidly to, to advance the kingdom at that time. <clears throat> and then we saw how we are sent in many of the same ways. Uh, circumstantially, we may not live exactly like the early church, um, but the same principles can guide us as we are sent uh, by God to, to spread his message, spread his gospel, and advance his kingdom. And so uh, today, we're beginning a new series called Faithful, and we're going to be exploring five of the main covenants in the Bible. And so for those familiar with the topic, this is not really an exploration of covenant theology, um, this is just looking at five of the major covenants in Scripture uh, and how we see God's faithfulness and how he relates to his people throughout history, throughout time, um, and how the covenants, uh, God's faithfulness on his side of things and man's unfaithfulness continually uh, over and over on our side of things. Um, since we're going to be talking about covenants for about five weeks, let's, here's a, a little definition. This is from Thomas Schreiner. He defines covenant as a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. Um, they're often marked by signs or commemorated with uh, witnesses or ceremonies. Um, those things aren't necessarily required to make it a covenant. Um, but just to kind of break down that definition, to kind of look at what we're talking about, uh, a chosen relationship. So it's kind of, right, it's mutually entered uh, from two parties that are green to this this relationship, this party, um, this um, agreement. And two, that it's a, a relationship. And so um, sometimes we think of covenant and we think contract because there's expectations or conditions. Um, but with a covenant, it's, it's more personal. It's more relational. Uh, and so the example of marriage being a covenant, which uh, ideally and theoretically it's chosen by both parties uh, to enter into the marriage relationship, um, there are expectations, there are promises made, but it's not just, again, expectations or, or conditions in a contract on a piece of paper, right? It, the, the relationship hinges, it, it rises or falls on the interaction of the parties and uh, how there's uh, getting along or um, flourishing between the two, right? Not just uh, X's and O's, right? And so... <clears throat> The covenants, uh, again, stand out from contracts because they're more personal, they're more relation, more relational. Um, the five major covenants we're going to be looking at over the next five weeks uh, are one, God's covenant with Noah, uh, and subsequently all living things, all creation, um, but through Noah as the representative. Two, God's covenant with Abraham, um, and again, Abraham and the subsequent generations beyond Abraham, but him being the representative. Three, God's covenant with Moses uh, and the nation of Israel, but Moses being the representative there. And then four, God's covenant with David. And five, the new covenant in Jesus. 
And so we'll see with most of the covenants in the Old Testament a recurring theme uh, of God making promises, uh, declaring his end of things, saying, I declare this, I will do this to keep certain commitments, um, and then asking the people on the other side to keep certain commitments in response, right? Kind of this, I'll do this, and you do this, and we're in relationship together. Um, today's, though, the Noahic covenant, or the covenant with Noah, there aren't really conditions or commitments. This is kind of a, just a one-sided, just a promise from God to the people to say, I'm going to do this. Um, there's no conditions on it. This is an unconditional promise from the Lord to say, uh, I will do what I'm going to do. And so uh, I want you to act a certain way. I want you to do certain things. But God doesn't say, this is make or break for my end of the deal. Uh, he just says, I promise to do something. And so um, <clears throat> we'll see God's faithfulness, faithfulness in this promise. He intends to keep it no matter what, right? There is zero condition on this Noahic covenant. So let's look at the Noahic Covenant in Genesis chapter 9. We'll read 1 through 17. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So this passage where God declares this covenant promise uh, follows the great flood that killed uh, all the people and all the animals that were not on the ark. Uh, Chapter 9 opens with God blessing Noah and his family, commissioning them to be fruitful, to multiply, He declares that they can eat uh, any of the animals as well as then continue to eat the plants that he has given them. Uh, And God also speaks out about killing people and how grievous it is because humans bear his image. Then God declares that he will never again destroy living things like he did with the flood and that the rainbow in the sky serves as a sign of God's faithfulness and a reminder of this promise. So a few things to dig into uh, as we look at this covenant. First, how did we get here? 
how did we get to the point that um, there had to be just Noah and his family and kind of given this, um, this covenant promise and this charge to be fruitful and multiply? Uh, without going over the whole build an ark, wait out the flood portion of the story, uh, why was there a flood in the first place? For that, we turn to Genesis 6, starting in verse 5. <clears throat> it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So the wickedness of man was great, and every intention of his heart was only evil continually. Um, There's a lot of uh, superlatives there, a lot of kind of absolutes. Um, I'm I'm not a fan of speaking in absolutes or superlatives. I'm too indecisive for those kind of things. But uh, God is not indecisive, and he's declaring some very strong truth here uh, about mankind. And he says that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. I mean, that's such a strong statement about how broken mankind was at this point and how pervasive sin was following the fall. <clears throat> this is Genesis 6, right? So not counting generations, but even if you're just looking at the whole Bible, you know, that's five chapters um, from the beginning of creation, right? And so man has, uh, as sin has entered the world in chapter, what, three of Genesis? Um, and now sin is running rampant so much so that God is grieved to his heart. Uh, that mankind is is living in this way and responding in this way. Um, it's spiraled, it's snowballed into this really sad, sad state, right? So wicked that God, again, he regrets making mankind and is grieved to his heart. And so God, who is holy and is just and is righteous, uh, chooses to punish sin in a devastating way with the great flood. So he's practically doing a, a reset of his original plan with Noah's family instead of Adam and Eve this time. Uh, the earth even kind of restarts. As if you follow kind of the, uh, the receding of the flood and how things go back from just like the world is covered with water to normal, um, back to normal operations, it's almost like creation again with like waters receding, the land shows up and talks about how the seasons resume kind of normality. Um, the plants, the animals, and people. And so it's almost kind of like this reboot of creation after the flood to, to kind of start again. Like, let's, let's try this again. God grants Adam and Eve the, the same blessings to rule over the earth and eat from it. Um, and he gives those same blessings kind of to Noah and his family, right? Uh, to subdue the earth and to be fruitful and multiply in it. And so the same commission that he was given uh, that he gives in creation uh, is kind of echoed here for Noah and his sons. And so it's almost this, again, kind of a, another Adam coming uh, through Noah to try to like, let's, do, let's try again. Let's, let's start again uh, as God intended and, and for you to live out the way uh, that God has intended people to live on the earth. But uh, it's, it's not going to work, right? Spoiler alert. Um, it doesn't last very long. 
still in chapter 6, if you were to read on, you would see that Noah um, is, I'm sorry, in chapter 9, uh, where we read the covenant um, following this covenant promise that God makes to all the people, uh, Noah um, falls into sin and, uh, and shame and, and disobedience, and his son Ham also uh, falls into disobedience and sin. <clears throat> and so that was a very quick turnaround from here's our reset, we're starting with you, um, and again, sin enters the picture really quickly. And Noah, I want to point this out, that Noah earned his ticket on the ark, Okay. Uh, we read that he found favor in the sight of the Lord in, uh, in chapter 6. Um, but way later in the New Testament, in Hebrews, when there's kind of this roll call of, of heroes of faith, um, Noah is listed, and it said that he, found, um, he was found blameless and righteous because of his faith. Uh, it wasn't his works that earned him his ticket, right? It's not like, this guy is really good, so I'm going to save him. For whatever reason, God in his grace saved Noah and his family. Um, and let them ride out the, the storm, right? And the animals that would fit on the ark as well. And so God in this covenant <clears throat> promises to sustain all living things until the end of time, uh, which would be, as believers understand, in, in our context, we would say, okay, well, the end of time is when Jesus comes back to make all things new, right? We don't have a question mark of like, well, when is the end of time? Um, well, we, we do have the question mark of when the end of time is, but we know it's marked by Jesus returning to make all things new. And I say that to say, uh, you know, sometimes we think, well, if, uh, you know, a great asteroid came and hit the earth and wiped out all of mankind, or, um, you know, if something, some virus, you know, zombies kill all the people, and then will like, animals live without us and just kind of uninhabited land or whatever, uh, those can't be part of the picture because those aren't part of what God's plan is for mankind. Um, now, do we see pestilence? Do we see war? Do we see natural disasters that often kill many, many people, thousands of people even? Yes. The world is still broken and marked by um, the fallenness of sin. But God will preserve humanity in a sense, in a way, uh, and all living creatures until his purposes are fulfilled for us. That's what this covenant is to Noah. Uh, and so <clears throat> this is great news, right? Great news. If we live, sadly, in a broken world, and we have flooding and tornadoes and earthquakes and all those things, um, we can still be sure that God will be faithful to the promise that he made way back in Genesis 9 to Noah, that he will never again blot out all the living things like he did with the great flood. This should give us some, uh, a sense of hope, right? Uh, that life, humanity, it keeps going. Um, like I said, fears of the world population being wiped out uh, and an empty planet just spinning without life on it um, we can dismiss those notions because that's not in God's plan um, for the earth or for people or even for the animals of the earth. <clears throat> those are not in part of God's plan. Humanity will be preserved until his purposes for redemption are fulfilled. Uh, God's not interested in an uninhabited globe just spinning and doing nothing. Uh, he has a purpose for mankind and for creation that he will see through. He's interested in restoring broken humans to fellowship with himself. Um, now, the covenant with Noah doesn't accomplish that, does it? It doesn't accomplish redemption. Uh, the covenant with Noah is about preservation, preserving mankind so that redemption can happen. It's not a covenant of redemption for mankind. 
Um, again, it's in the very same chapter of the promise to preserve mankind that Noah shows us how quickly man can fall and how weak the flesh is with regard to righteousness. Noah grows a vineyard, which is good. He's supposed to farm and grow fruit, right? But he uses the grapes to make wine, and he, which is not bad. But then he gets drunk, and in his drunkenness, there, he has sinned. And then in his sin, his son also sins. And you can read that story in the rest of chapter 9 if you want to. But I just throw that example out there to say, look how quickly we are reminded uh, of man's sinfulness, man's brokenness, man's wickedness. And that the promise that God just made was not a promise that saved mankind um, spiritually. It's a promise that saved mankind physically um, because God has purposes for mankind. And so we'll see this pattern repeated over and over in the course of the series as God continues to make promises um, and remain faithful and people continue to fall short and break uh, covenant with him. Um, This, of course, is all leading up to Jesus as the fulfillment of the remaining covenants. Uh, We'll see that God will make a promise that that man will kind of say, yes, uh, we agree. We're uh, going to hold up our end of the bargain and, and fall short every time. And so Covenants continue to kind of crumble, uh, and then God will step in with a new covenant, and Jesus will fulfill all those covenants, um, which again is gospel, right? That's good news for us, uh, because God has purposes for all of us. The hope for us as believers is that the mandate to share Jesus with the lost is still in effect, right? We know that anyone with life left to live still has the opportunity to trust in Jesus, We know that God won't destroy mankind. Despite our wickedness, despite our rebellion, despite our unfaithfulness, he will not wipe out humanity because there's still hope for redemption. And he has promised to preserve us for his purposes. Destruction, death, tragedy, they may come, uh, but mankind will endure because God has promised that it will. And in light of that preservation, we press on in hopeful expectation that he will save more from his wrath and into his family because we, he will once again judge and punish sin, but not in the same way. He didn't say, I'm done punishing sinners, right? He didn't say that uh, I've been too harsh on, on sin. He just said, I won't judge it in this way. And so... The next judgment that we see, sadly, is, is an eternal torment. It's an eternal uh, punishment in the afterlife for those who are not in Christ. Um, and so, it, it, again, it's not necessarily good news for the wicked in the long run, but it's good news for the wicked who still have life because there's still time, there's still opportunity um, to trust in Christ, to be redeemed, to be restored to fellowship with God. Um, in Christ, we have redemption, we have forgiveness, we have everlasting life with the Lord. Whatever happens to this earth, right, when God remakes it and does away with it and creates a new one, um, we can be uh, in glory and in perfected uh, new creation uh, with God by faith in Jesus. And so we have the promise given um, if, if you were to go backwards, and some argue that there's, uh, there's creation covenant uh, with, with Adam, um, but to the first major covenant coming where they, God actually declares, I'm making a covenant with you here with Noah. Uh, kind of this reset again to say, listen, um, there's a plan for man in creation. 
to live for the Lord and, and to live uh, in relationship with creation according to God's ways. Uh, and so broken, so fallen, that God was grieved. And I don't know what it means for God to regret um, having made a decision, right? Because God's all-knowing, and so uh, that's beyond my, uh, my capabilities to, to unwrap all that. Uh, but for God to be grieved, uh, I can understand that. I can get a sense of that, to say we are breaking his heart. Humanity was breaking the heart of God in sin. And for him to respond the way he did with the flood, tragic and extreme. Um, but again, we look in light of preservation, in light of the grace he showed. Sometimes we can look at one side and say, how could he be so hateful and so mean to destroy and to judge? But really, God is so holy and perfect and righteous that it also should amaze us to say, how could he be so gracious to preserve anyone? And so he comes to Noah and preserves and promises to preserve mankind right, to not destroy the earth again in that way. And so our hope is in the fact that God keeps his promises. He is faithful to keep his promises, that there's always time to return. There's time for forgiveness, redemption, opportunity for grace, because our God is gracious. Um, and so the next few weeks, again, we'll look at more covenants, we'll look at more relationship, we'll look at more broken covenants from man's side. Um, but the consistent theme through all the covenants we'll see, is a consistent, unchanging, faithful God who keeps his promises to us. Um, that's uh, a little shorter this morning because I knew we had some extra elements to go over today uh, with our video and all those things. Uh, but let's pray, and then um, we'll continue with our service. <clears throat> God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your promises and your faithfulness. Um, God, sometimes it's hard for us to trust. Uh, we've been lied to, we've been uh, deceived, we've been tricked. Um, we've been let down by others, other people. And so, Lord, often we're conditioned to not trust, to, to not be vulnerable, to, to not put our hope uh, in, in anything. <coughs> And so my prayer over this series is as we look to your word and look at your promises that we would find you faithful again and again and again and again. That you do not, um, you do not lie, you do not deceive, you do not trick us. Um, that you are faithful to keep your promises to us. Um, that you are good and gracious uh, to preserve that though we don't see redemption in the covenant with Noah, that you do promise redemption through the covenants that we'll talk about in the coming weeks. And we don't have to wait for the coming weeks, Lord, to know and declare that redemption ultimately comes through Christ. That our opportunity to be reconciled to you, to be freed from our sin, to be forgiven for our mistakes and our wickedness and our disobedience, our rebellion, is in Christ. that no matter how much sin that we find in ourselves, your grace is greater still. Thank you, Lord, for preserving mankind, that we might still have opportunity to live for you, to, to trust in you, to extend your grace to others, that they might come to know you as well. Thank you that you are a saving God. 
God who desires to be in relationship with us and reconcile us to you. We pray all these things in the mighty, saving name of Jesus. Amen.